Thank you for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. To discover more about Four Mile Creek or what it means to follow Jesus, you can visit us online at www.fourmilecreek.org. Here is this week's message. If you have your Bibles this morning, take them and turn with me back to the book of Acts in chapter 1, which is where we're going to be at today. Unite it in the essentials. Unite it in the essentials. I want to read something to you that... uh, Listen to all of it. Do not just choose to tune me out when you hear something that you, you decide that you want to think about a uh, opinion on. I need you to listen to it. I have written this out so that nobody can say I said something I didn't say or anything like that. Recently, Bishop John Inge of the Church of England wrote an open letter arguing for the abandonment of the biblical understanding of marriage in favor of the LGBTQ plus understanding. At great length, he presents presents an argument that at its core discounts the authority of scripture in the lives of people. For the bishop, the biblical understanding of marriage is non-essential and it has gone the way of the dodo. In his opinion, the church should disregard Scripture's teaching. While the biblical understanding of marriage is indeed essential to the Christian faith, so are countless other doctrines, and if you disregard one, you will disregard the other. I can't tell you when you will disregard it, but I can guarantee you that if you disregard one doctrine, you will disregard the others. A church on mission understands that we are to be united in the essential theological tenets of our faith. In other words, we should be united in historic Christian conviction. These tenets cannot change simply because we do not like them or because the culture has shifted. We hold fast to the essentials, things like the virgin birth, the authority of Scripture, salvation by grace through faith, the Trinity, the death and bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus and His physical return. And we give liberty in the non-essential things, such as the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, eschatology, that is how the return of Christ will happen, not if, but how. And in all things, essentials and non-essentials, we remain charitable toward each other while we cling firm to the authority of Scripture. If you disregard one doctrine of the faith, you will disregard the others. Why do I open up this way? Well, I open up this way because we find today in the words of Scripture, Peter identifying three essential realities for the church that the church cannot, under any circumstance, abandon. And we have, as a convention uh, decades ago, fought the uh, what is now called the conservative resurgence. It was a battle against theological liberalism. Uh, other denominations uh, have fought it and in many cases have lost the battle against theological liberalism. And it's amazing how these debates will begin. It often begins clouded around the authority of Scripture. We know what Scripture says, however. 
In fact, in the bishop's letter, he says at one point that he just can't believe Scripture's teachings. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe it, Scripture is authoritative. What are the three things that Peter identifies? We're going to look at these things and more, but I, I want to go ahead and just give them to you right now. It's the authority of Scripture, the necessity of the resurrection, and the sovereignty of God. Your first point today is that a church on mission recognizes the authority of Scripture. A church on mission recognizes the authority of Scripture. Listen to Peter's words in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together were about 120. And he said, brothers and sisters, it is necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled Catch this, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who, who arrested Jesus, for he was one of our number, and he shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages, and he fell headfirst. His body burst open, his intestines spilled out, and this became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that it is now called the field of blood, Hekeldama. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that your word is indeed authoritative, that it has bearing on every aspect of our life. God, even the uncomfortable things that your word says. But God, through the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit, you enable us and you empower us to obey your word pursue holiness and holiness is more than just saying no to sin it's about saying yes to you and God you enable and empower us to do that so I pray God that as we look at your word this morning that you would put us in remembrance of those essential things Lord the things that we cannot compromise on because Lord we live in a world that demands the abandonment of truth your truth God the only truth for the pers persuasion of the day and God, we choose your truth. For it is the only one that leads to life and life everlasting. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through you, Lord. We thank you for all these things. In the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. 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 A church on mission recognizes the authority of Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God. It has been God-breathed, your translation may say. And it is profitable. It is profitable. I know a fella who I love him to death, and, and I hope y'all are going to get to meet him uh, in the next few months. But he is just attuned to what's going on in the stock market. I mean, if I call him up right now, I'm not because he's in church and we are too. But if I call him up right now and say, hey, brother, uh, what did the stock market do on Friday? He can tell me. If he so much as thinks he's going to lose money, he goes in and he starts trying to hedge his bets. He knows what's going on. For him, it's profitable that he do that. And so often if somebody were able to tell you, hey, I can guarantee a return on investment that's going to be profitable and worth your while, you would want to hear about it. 
And what Paul has said through the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, is that all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable. It is useful. There will always be a positive return on investment. Always. What is it profitable for? Well, he goes on. He says it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And why, why is it profitable to these things? What, what will it lead to? Well, he says in verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, Psalm 119. The word of God is profitable. Psalm 19 tells us that it makes the inexperienced wise. I'll never forget, I didn't understand what my youth pastor was saying when I heard him say it when I was a student, but he said, you know, if you know Jesus and you're living in accordance with his word, you are more wise than the professor you have who doesn't know Jesus, who rejects God's truth, and who looks at everything just purely from a scientific worldview. You are more wise than he is. I didn't understand that, then I encountered Psalm 19, and you know what? It makes the inexperienced wise. You, you are holding to the wisdom of God. It's profitable for all things. Paul says that God spoke these words, and it is authoritative. Do you understand that God is the only person in the universe that can rule by verbal fiat? In Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light. Literally, in the, uh, not the Greek, in the Hebrew. He says, light be and light was. Best we can do is clap on, clap off. That's the best we can do, right? If it ain't plugged into the thing, it ain't no use. God's the only one who can rule by verbal fiat. When he speaks, it's worth listening to. He says, hey, here's how you live a life of godliness. Peter writes in his epistles, we've been, gonna get, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. You want to know how to pursue Christ? Read the Bible. You want to know how to pray? Read the Bible. You can read these books and listen and staff. We're about to be doing a staff read uh, through the battle plan for prayer. Those things are helpful. It's rooted in Scripture. But if we don't root our plan in prayer, it's all for naught. And by the way, if you're like me and you didn't know what naught meant until a few years ago, it means it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. Scripture is inspired by God. And a church on mission recognizes that. Peter recognized the authoritative uh, nature of Scripture. He says in verse 16 of this chapter, it was necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas. The Old Testament's inspired by God. We need, we need the Old Testament just as much as we need the New Testament. A few years ago, the Lord convicted me of that. I'd been reading almost exclusively in my quiet time through the New Testament. And I was coming to the end of a book, and, and in my quiet time, I like to read through books. And God said to me, Craig, you have neglected the Old Testament. I said, okay. Well, Lord, what do I read? I didn't know what to read. And I said, well, Genesis is first, so Genesis it is. And so I began to read through Genesis. And, and there are some Christians who like to say, well, you know, those red words in the Bible are the most important words. Maybe you're like that. Can I tell you to get rid of that thinking? They're important. But you know something? 
God does a lot of speaking in the Old Testament himself. We may not have highlighted them in red, but they're no less important. Every word of Scripture has been inspired, and it is useful. You can't cherry pick it. Some people try, but you can't. It's not a bag of trail mix. I mean, I love trail mix if I can pick what I want to eat out of it. Scripture is not a bag of trail mix. You have to wrestle with what's in the text. Sometimes it may make you uncomfortable. Oh, God, I don't like you said that. God's big enough. He can handle it. Doesn't change the truth of the text. But wrestle with it. We know that the Old Testament is inspired because in this, he quotes Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. He says, hey, the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, foretold this. The early church recognize the authority of Scripture as their basis. Likewise, the Scriptures are our authority today. It is the timeless standard. It is what we measure all things against. It tells us up from down, left from right. We have everything we need in it for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. It has bearing on every aspect of our life. We're going to get into this in January Bible study. But listen, if, if you want the practical nuts and bolts of this is how it applies, go read. In fact, this is your homework before next Sunday. Uh, go read Ephesians chapter 1 through 6. It's the whole book, okay? And what you'll discover is that in chapters 1 through 3, Paul lays theological foundations. Here's what we believe, why we believe it. Chapters 4 through 6, okay, in light of what we believe and why we believe it, here's how this has bearing on our life. Has bearing on our marriage. It has bearings on how we as, as husbands and wives picture for a lost and dying world what the gospel is. The relationship between the Lord Jesus and his church. In your parenting, it has bearing. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't do it. Let me tell you, words make worlds. When you speak, are you making heaven or hell? Parents, when you speak to your children, are you saying something to them that's going to build them up or tear them down? It has bearing on how we parent. It has bearing on, on how we uh, 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 live in, in that marriage relationship. It has bearing in our relationships with one another. You know, Paul says in, in Ephesians, he says, don't lie to one another. And then he tells us why. You know why you, 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 know why you don't lie to one another? Because you're all part of the same body. In fact, every command that Paul gives in Ephesians 4, and he says, hey, don't do this, he gives a reason why. Be angry and do not sin. Why? Because you don't want to give Satan an opportunity. It's profitable. It's useful. It has bearing on all aspects. It has bearing in our employer and employee relationships. Hey, employers, lead like Jesus. Employees, work like Jesus. Do it faithfully. It has bearing on all these things. A church on mission recognizes the authority of Scripture, but also this, it recognizes the necessity of the resurrection. Listen to verses 21 through 22. Therefore, from, the, uh, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So Peter's saying, listen, out of everybody that's been here for the whole duration, from uh, uh, the baptism all the way to the ascension, out of everybody that's been here for this, Beginning from the baptism of John until the day it was taken up from us, verse 22, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. A church on mission recognizes the necessity of the resurrection. 
There is a movement today to remove the cross from our theology. If you talk about the wrath of God for these people, you are doing harm to others. There's a film series, uh, you can Google it, American Gospel. It's a two-parter. And they walk through that. They walk through why the cross is indeed essential. But there's a movement today to take the cross out of Christianity. But a crossless Christianity is a Christless Christianity. If there is no cross, there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You've got to have the cross. And by the way, if it makes your stomach turn when you think about the cross, good, it should. I was thinking about that this week. I was listening to a sermon by Adrian Rogers, and and he essentially put Jesus on trial. That's what he did. And as I'm listening to him preach, I began to think about the reality of what went down during Jesus' crucifixion. I, I, I don't like getting a shot in my arm. I hate it. Uh, I had a doctor whose who's nurse, she was old school. And uh, I was getting a shot and, and she said, don't look at it. Well, I mean, well, you tell me that, I'm going to look at it. And so, you know, I'm, and she put her hand on my head and I said, don't look. And I said, okay, I won't look. I mean, she was being serious. I don't even like a shot. I can't imagine a stake being driven through my hands. Jesus went willingly to the cross. He went willingly to the cross. He didn't go fighting. He was innocent. But he went... So that God's plan of reconciliation might be made known and might be made complete. You take the cross out, you take Jesus out. You take Jesus out, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. A church on mission recognizes the necessity of the resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been risen, risen as, I'm sorry, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. I mean, I guess if you wanted to, you could make a version of Christianity that is uh, easy to digest, but that's not a Christianity worth having. Are there things in the Bible that bother you? It's authoritative. Scripture records what happens in the crucifixion and in the resurrection and, the, and, the, and, and in the ascension. For Peter and others, the one who would replace Judas had to be in the process for the whole time. You and I can only serve Jesus if we are with Jesus. Now, now let me, because we have one person say, yes, thank you. But let me show you something. In Mark 3, Jesus goes up on the mountainside. I believe this is Mark 3, 13. In fact, it's in Mark 3, but if I'm going to tell you where it's at, I want to make sure I get it right. In Mark 3, beginning in verse 13, I was right. Jesus went up on the mountain and he summoned those he wanted. 
And they came to him, verse 14, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, in that list of things that they were uh, to do, the first thing that comes up is that they were to be with him. In the Greek, word order is important. It is no mistake that Mark says that the first thing they were to do was to be with Jesus. You can't serve the Lord Jesus and his church if you're not spending time with them. You've got to be with Jesus. You've got to spend time with him. You've got to speak to him. He's got to speak to you. He's got to set the direction and the tone for your life. He sets the direction and tone for this church. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is about the Lord Jesus. We have to be in step with the Lord Jesus. Keep in step with the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians. Are you in step with Jesus? Are you abiding in Christ? If you abide in me, John 15, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're not spending time with Jesus, you, you can't serve. You have to be in the process. You have to have, for the lack of a better phrase, you have to have your own resurrection experience. Paul tells us, again, in Ephesians, that as we come to Jesus, we have been raised to a new life. We have been seated in the heavens. You'll see that when you go and do your homework this week. If you've not been raised with the Lord Jesus, then you're not saved. If you've not been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you that live, but Christ who lives in you. In the life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave you self for, uh, for you. You're not saved. You have to have a resurrection experience. Now, we're not in our resurrected bodies yet, and so I don't mean a physical resurrection, though one day that's going to come. But have you been spiritually resurrected? Have you been raised with Christ? Are you walking in fellowship with Him? A church on mission recognizes the necessity of the resurrection. You cannot take the resurrection out of the equation. If you do, we're left with nothing. Here's the other thing a church on mission recognizes. It recognizes the sovereignty of God. Recognizes the sovereignty of God. Listen to verses 23 to 26 in the book of Acts. And so they proposed to called uh, Joseph, called Bersabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed, you, O Lord, know everyone's heart, show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. And then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. In some circles, the conversation about the sovereignty of God creates a lot of uh, debate. And we're going to take up that in more depth in January Bible study. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. um, God's sovereignty should promote adoration before it promotes argumentation. And doxology before debate. It is a marvelous thing that our God is in complete and total control of all things and all of time. Jesus was not a helpless victim when he was crucified. He was in complete control. When he stood before Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate 
judged him, it would not be too terribly long until Pontius Pilate would stand before the Lord Jesus and he himself be judged. Jesus, as a member of the Trinity, knew what was going on. God knows what's going on. He is sovereign. At the end of the day, uh, without getting into too much detail about the sovereignty of God and free will of man, here's where I'm at. Are you ready? God is totally and completely sovereign, period. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. God is totally and completely in control, period. I don't care which way you slice that apple pie, he's in control, okay? Man has free will. To what degree, I'm not sure. But we have it. However, God's sovereignty does not negate man's free will, and man's free will does not negate God's sovereignty. They coexist. They are intention. The early church recognized the sovereignty of God. They prayed. They said, Lord, you know everyone's hearts. If we, as we have prayed, Lord, we, we believe you have led us to one of these two men. Now, God, we don't know which one, but we're going to trust you. And so, God, we're going to keep praying, and then we're going to cast lots. Now, when they cast lots, that's not them just saying, well, you know, well. This is not you at the dinner table flipping a coin to see who's going to pick up this tab. Okay. They cast lots because they recognize that God is sovereign enough to control how those lots fall. Okay. In what appears to be chaos, God brings order. These, 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 these lots may have been cast, and, and, and how they fell may have appeared random, but to God there was no randomness in that. God is able, in His sovereignty, to hold everything together. All things were created in him, through him, and by him, and by all things, and, and by him all things are held together, Paul tells us. As, as those Roman soldiers are driving the stakes into his hands, Jesus is holding their very existence together. He, he's holding the atoms together. He's, he's allowing them to breathe and to breathe out. I'd always like to do this when I was in student ministry. Hey, on the count of three, I want everybody to take a deep breath. And uh, you don't let it go till I tell you. One, two, three, breath in. Hold it. Breath out. He allowed you to take that. In God's sovereignty as he's being crucified, he allowed those who were doing the deed to continue to live. And by that, by his crucifixion, the certificate of debt that was against us and opposed to us was erased as it was nailed to the cross in the person of Jesus. And he made reconciliation available for whosoever will. So I don't really think that causing the lots to fall where they needed to fall was that big of a deal for him. Fair enough? Don't underestimate the sovereignty of God. Yes, we have a part to play by all means. We go and we share Jesus with people. We do. Now, God knows who's going to come to the table and who isn't, but we go and we share anyway. We pray. 
We pray because God has said, this is how I'm going to work. Pray. Pray. I'm going to work through prayer, so pray. We don't have to understand all these things. We just need to know that it works, and we need to be faithful in obedience to that. A church on mission recognizes the sovereignty of God. So they identified these two men. They did not rush to the decision. They were in prayer about it. And by the way, I, I have to be so careful in my own leadership about this because uh, there are parts of me that when I identify some things, what I think to myself is, man, I wish this would have been done yesterday. Are you like that? Oh, man, I wish this had been done yesterday. But you don't rush to a decision. You go, you seek the face of God. You let him set the direction. After identifying the men, they cast lots and, 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 and they say, Lord, we're going to trust you in this. Even in that, they recognize God's sovereignty. There may be things in your life that you say, man, Lord, I, 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 can, I can take care of this myself. How quick are you going to make a mess of it? Now, I, I, I distinguish it this way. When God has made himself clear in how you should act through his word, you can go and do that. God is not obligated to speak to you that which he has already spoken in his word. Now, he can tell you how to apply the truths of Scripture to the particular situations in your life. And where those things are clear, go and do that. Husbands, God wants you to be the spiritual leader of your household. You can do that. You don't have to pray, well, Lord, do, 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 you, do you really want me to be the spiritual leader of my household? He's already told you. He wants us to tell others about Jesus. We don't have to pray about that. He's made it clear. Go and tell them. You may need to say, Lord, now I don't really know how I'm to do this, so can you help me? I know I need to do it, and I want to do it, but I don't know how. That's different, though, from you just saying, nah, I can, I can take care of this. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I've, I've owned a business for 30 years, so this is no big deal. Or, oh, well, you know, last time I was in a situation like this and we prayed about it, we handled it this way, so we should handle it this way again. No two situations are alike. Number one, you've got different personalities involved. If you're following Jesus, you're not the same person you were five years ago. If you are, you've not been following Jesus. There are situations that I handled a certain way when I was an associate pastor uh, three, four years ago that I would not handle the same way today. I've learned a little bit more. I followed Jesus a little bit more closely. I spent some time with more seasoned leaders. Like, yeah, I wouldn't do that today. And maybe if I would, I'd be a lot more hesitant to pull the trigger on that one. Recognize the sovereignty of God. He knows best. You and I don't. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Trust God to set the direction. A church on mission recognizes the sovereignty of God. A church on mission submits to the sovereignty of God. We seek to obey Jesus... Because we know that he is the one calling the shots. Not you, not me, not your neighbor down the street. He calls the shots. If we're to be a church on mission, we must submit our lives, every area of them, to the authority of Scripture. It is authoritative. It is true. It is useful. It is profitable. Submit yourself to it. It'll keep you out of trouble. It'll keep you out of trouble. Boy, I wish somebody would have taken the time to tell me that as a kid. I didn't know any better. I was just trying to figure stuff out on my own. 
We must never forget the necessity of the crucifixion and the resurrection. That is why we do what we do. And we must understand and embrace the reality that God is totally and completely sovereign over all things for all of time. And if you're in here today and you say, you know, I'm not a Christian. I don't think the Bible has any bearing on my life. Can I just say to you that if you were to, and I've said it before in the past few weeks, if, if you up and say, well, you know, I don't think gravity is a real, real thing. I'm going to go to this bridge and I'm going to jump off. And because I don't believe in gravity, I'm going to fly like a bird. Well, first, don't do that. And number two, no, you won't fly like a bird. Because gravity is a reality. It has bearing on your life whether or not you know it is a thing. Period. It has bearing on your life and the Word of God has bearing on your life. The Word of God says that apart from Jesus you are condemned to an eternity in hell apart from a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible just doesn't stop there. It tells you how you can be saved. It tells you how you can be brought into the presence of God, made new, and, 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 and made his child. It says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He loved you, and that while you were still sinners, he showed it by dying for you. You don't have to clean yourself up for you come to Jesus. He'll clean you up. Just come to Jesus and, and, and lay it down. And be willing to let him clean you up. It may be painful when he starts cleaning. You might have matted hair with dirt and grime and everything else in it. And you might have just dirt embedded into wounds. And it's going to hurt when he cleans them out. But he'll clean, clean, he'll, he'll clean it up. He'll make you new. And you'll walk in the newness of life. And if you know Jesus, the Word of God has bearing on your life. It has bearing on, on, on how you live Monday through Saturday. When you're at the water cooler on Thursday at 3, it has bearing. When you say, I just don't know what I need to do, it has bearing. You get in a pattern of stinking thinking, God meets you in prayer as you say, God, here's what I'm thinking. Lord, will you tell me what your truth says? Will you help me see my thoughts clearly? God, will you help me see you clearly? Lord, give me the eyes to see the richness of your grace. We recognize the authority of Scripture, the necessity of the resurrection, the sovereignty of God. And as we do this, and as we submit our lives to holy God in, in these areas and in others, He honors that. And in our obedience and in our submission, the world looks at us and says, that's a little different. I wonder what's going on there. You'll see that in the book of Ephesians when we get into it in JBS. That one of the distinctives of the early church is that they cared for orphans and widows and others regardless of social class. You had retired government officials, retired military officers, you had doctors, lawyers, slaves, poor people, rich people. You had everybody coming together. And they're not killing each other. And they're all worshiping the same God. Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And God honors that. And, and as we unite together, 
on mission for the sake of the gospel. We become a force to be reckoned with, not in our power, but in God's. And we become a testament to what God's wanting to do in the lives of people. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in the hearts and minds of people. Is your life a testament to that kingdom? Do you submit to the authority of Scripture? Do you believe in the necessity of the resurrection? And do you trust in the sovereignty of God? As we enter this time of invitation, as our praise team comes, I want you to take just a few moments. I want you to pray that that God would show you in your life uh, where you need to submit to the authority of Scripture. When Mike Savage prayed earlier, he said, Lord, give us clean hearts. Who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord except he who has clean hands and a pure heart? Psalm 24. Lord, where do we need to submit? Lord, have we abandoned and 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 in my individual life, Lord, have have I abandoned the essentials of the Christian faith? Have I said, well, some are not that important and some I don't agree with, and so I'm not going to subscribe to? And let me ask you to consider whether or not you've been letting God be God, or have you been trying to be the one who is sovereign? You can't do it. You can't remember what you had for breakfast yesterday. I don't think we had anything. But God knows all things. He is all-powerful and all-present. So will you stand and pray with me as we enter this time of invitation. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you, God. I pray that you would speak to us as we enter this time of response. Lord, as we um, submit ourselves to you, with humility, God, knowing that you are God, we are not. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. But God, you are God, and we thank you for that. And we thank you that you enable us and empower us to hold fast to the faith that has been delivered to the saints once and for all. Lord, make us a people of your word. Make us a people of prayer. We love you and we thank you. And pray all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.